and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. So as we enter into this season of Lent where we fix our eyes on Jesus and prepare for his impending crucifixion and resurrection, I can think of no better occasion than to actually have a baptism. In just a few minutes, we will celebrate baptism. Another family giving their child to God, another child receiving the promised Holy Spirit. And the very fact that something called baptism exists in Christianity, well, it drives us to the most fundamental realities of the human condition, the reality of life and death and the questions that surround them. How did I get here? What am I doing here? Why am I going to die? And is there life after death? Now, every religion, philosophers, scientists, and yes, even atheists have formulated all kinds of answers to these very questions over the ages. But listen carefully. The very fact that there are different answers among us tells us something. It tells us there's at least some uncertainty among different peoples about something for which we all want no need certainty. For example, some say there is only life and death. You live, you die, that's it, that's all. While others believe in life after death, but then we run into these kinds of problems. Among those who believe in life after death, we find that there are different opinions about how we get there and who gets there. Some would say you have to do more good than bad to go into eternal life. Other well-wishers would want to simply say that all dogs go to heaven. Everyone goes to heaven. How about this? If only there were someone out there who had died and come back to life again. Maybe that would give us a definitive answer about life after death. And maybe, just maybe, he could show us how it all works and what we're supposed to do. If only we had that, then maybe we could make sense of everything else going on around us. I've got good news this morning, friends. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling us in today's reading from Romans. Paul is arguing that because Jesus has died and because Jesus has risen from the dead, therefore we can know about our own life, our death, and about life after death. We can know how it all works and we can know with certainty very specific certainty what it is that we're supposed to do. Well, I knew Charles wasn't going to be here this morning, so I'm going to steal a page from his playbook. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to our reading from Romans chapter 5. If you're going to use these Black Pew Bibles, it's on page 866. Otherwise, you can use your smartphones or however you get there, just get there. I'm going to cheat and read it off of my sermon page. I just... I just put it there to make it easier on me. Our reading from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Let me read it again and 
Follow closely. Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's notice this. Notice that the first thing that Paul tells us is this. He puts it plainly, he puts it simply, he says, we all die because we all sin. In other words, if we're going to make any progress in understanding our life, our death, and life after death, then the cold, hard, painful, uncomfortable fact that every one of us must confront is this. We die because we sin. We die because we sin. This is our whole reading from Genesis this morning. When Adam and Eve disobeyed the first death that they experienced was a death of a right relationship with God, a spiritual death. And then following that spiritual death, they encountered a physical death. We die because we sin. Now, my sister likes to make a joke. She likes to say that the first thing she's going to do when she gets to heaven is to punch Adam in the nose. I love my sister. And I enjoy that sentiment, but we all know it doesn't quite work like that. If I'm going to punch anyone in the nose, I should actually punch myself in the nose. Why? Because I sin against God. And I die because of my sin. And what's true for me is true for all of us. Now, this is really, really important, what I'm about to say next. Concerning this relationship between sin and death... Paul talks about something that I know each and every one of us understands. It's called condemnation. Condemnation. Every one of us feels the weight of our sin through what is called condemnation. What is condemnation? Condemnation is guilt that leads to shame. Shame that leads to separation, separation that leads to isolation, isolation that leads to death. And my friends, this is what it means to live in a state of hell. Now get this, mercifully, 
Mercifully, God allows us to experience a foretaste of hell on earth. Why? Because he's trying to arouse us. He wants to show us what hell feels like so that he can warn us against it, so that we won't want to live in a state of hell for eternity. But therein lies the rub for so many people. Condemnation, guilt, and shame are the very things that keep so many people from going back to God. They say to themselves, I've been so bad for so long that God wouldn't possibly want me back, they think, and so they stay away. Yet the opposite problem is also true. Some try and cover over their condemnation this way. They try and tell themselves that God will accept them on the basis of the good things that they do. If I only do more good than bad, they say to themselves, surely God will accept me into heaven. But Paul also addresses that attitude when he says this. He says the law came in to increase the trespass. Now what does he mean by that? Does he mean that God's law causes me to sin more? And if that's true, what chance then do I have? No. What Paul means is this. He means that God's moral law reveals our sin to us. And because there are lots of moral laws, there are lots of ways we can sin, and there are lots of ways we do sin. So the point is this. Hear me clearly. God will neither allow us to hide behind our self-deception nor our self-loathing. But if all of that's true, then what hope do we have? My friends, the hope we have is this. Our hope is that while our self-loathing and our self-deception can and do keep us from God, neither of those things nor anything else has kept God away from us. In fact, this is exactly why he came. Hear these words that Paul speaks in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom... It is for freedom, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. No longer to fall back again into a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. My friends, the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus has come to free us from self-loathing. Jesus has come to free us from self-deception and more. Why? Because he loves us. And so he wants to forgive us because he wants to be with us forever in that place where there is no more pain or suffering or death. Jesus doesn't want us to feel this condemnation of our sin, and neither does he want us to be afraid of our death, so he came to conquer it. This is the whole point and the whole purpose of his life, his atoning death, and his glorious resurrection. Here's how it works. And we have to all put ourselves in this place to see it. My sin, your sin, our sin against him is what nailed him to the cross. 
I can't say it any more plainly than this. You and I tried to kill the Christ who came to save us. But here's the good news. His merciful love is what kept him there. He didn't have to stay there. He could have come down from the cross. But his merciful love toward you and toward me for the forgiveness of our sins is what kept him there. You know the words. Hear the words. Allow the words to soak into those places of self-deception and self-condemnation. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do is what he cried out from the cross. And then after declaring these words of forgiveness to validate that very declaration, he rose again on the third day from the grave, defeating death by death. His life, his death, and his resurrection, my friends, is the only thing that makes us, helps us make sense of our life and our death, and it is what opens the door for us to have eternal life in him. And guess what? It begins at baptism. In baptism, hear this clearly, God gives himself to us. His Holy Spirit, his person, his presence, his power working in us and through us that we might be born again, born anew to a living hope as the apostle Peter tells us for as John the baptizer also tells us, he will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. That's what Christian baptism is. God giving us his Holy Spirit. And then in reply, baptism is our public declaration to God, to the church, and to the world that we will no longer live according to the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we no longer want to succumb to the fear of sin and death because we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who saves us. And I have to say this, just to put it on record, For those who might wonder why we baptize babies, this is what we say. There's nothing in Scripture that prohibits the baptism of infants. The church has baptized babies since the second century, and we have to ask this question, were they trying to get it wrong, or were they trying to get it right? Thirdly, we have these words from Jesus. They are not proof texts, but they feed into some other things I want to say. Thirdly, Jesus did say, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such as these belong the kingdom of God. So we at least might ask this kind of question. Would we dare say, would we dare say that an infant can recognize the voice of her earthly mother who loves her, but not her heavenly father who made her and loves her infinitely more than that? Noted Anglican theologian C.B. Moss in his Dogmatic Theology book said it this way concerning infant baptism. He said it's not the absence of repentance and faith, but the deliberate rejection of them that hinders the effect of baptism. God's gift does not depend solely on our capacity. In fact, in Scripture from today, Paul calls God's gift a free gift. In fact, Paul says it five times in these verses. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the words free and gift, and when I hear them together, I start to pay attention 
to what's being said to me. What is this free gift? Grace. Grace. Most often grace is defined this way, God's unmerited favor. What does that mean? I'm going to put it in the simple biblical terms. God is for us, not against us. God is for you, not against you. God is for us. He is not against us. That's what grace means. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. God gives it to us because he loves us. So he forgives us that we might be with him forever. My friends, here's the bottom line. There's no amount of good that we can possibly do to make up for or fix the bad things that we've done. We don't get lollipops for stopping at stop signs. That's what we're supposed to do. The problem is when we run the stop sign, how does the mess get cleaned up? The image holds. We need an outside agent to come in and clean up the mess. We can't do it on our own. And that's exactly what God does when he gives us his grace. God can fix it. God did fix it by sending Jesus. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection is what answers our questions about the meaning of our life, about the reason for our death, and about reality of life after death. My friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And as our freedom begins at baptism, when God gives us his own Holy Spirit, I finally say this, let's get this baby baptized. <laughs> 